I just want you to know that some preachers are shameless in the lengths to which they will go to secure a, a significant, salient, striking sermon illustration. For the record, I am not such a preacher. You need to know that I was not the instigator behind the stacks of dead, useless branches around which you had to navigate just to enter this sanctuary this morning. Branches that are good for nothing except to be gathered up and burned in the fire. And just because I've been preaching from John 15 for lo these many weeks, it never occurred to me that you would look at those tremendous stacks of useless branches and ask yourself, am I that kind of branch? Or am I producing fruit with my life? Or, or to ask yourself, does the Lord need to prune me like this in order to produce fruit? I vigorously, I vociferously vouch for my innocence in this matter. Do you believe me? Nothing to do with it. However, if, if you ask those questions of yourself as you entered the sanctuary this morning, or if you ask yourself those questions as you pass by them when you leave, that's between you and the Lord. All I know is this, as disciples of Christ, as those who follow him, we must bear the fruit of good works motivated by love for Christ. That's what we'll talk about this morning as we turn, return once again to John 15. So if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter. And when you found your place there, if you are able, would you please stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 5, this is the word of the Lord. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word when it's joined by your spirit. We pray now, Lord, that through your word and by the power of your spirit, you would pierce hearts here this morning. Pierce the hearts of those who know you, who love you, who want to follow you with more truth. The more ways that our lives need to be lived and reordered in, in accordance with your word. Father, for those here this morning who may not know you, pierce their hearts with the beauty of Christ. Reveal yourself to them, Lord, so that they may see you, Jesus know you and love you. We pray big things as we come to your word because you're a big God who does great things. 
So we submit ourselves now to you and your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You might may be seated. As you know, we've been talking about bearing fruit now for many weeks. We've listened week after week to the voice of Jesus say to us, bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. We've seen that bearing fruit is not an option for those who truly follow Christ. For the past few weeks, we've been defining what that fruit is so that we might know if we are actually bearing fruit in our lives. So if in your life and in all your relationships you are loving and joyful, if you are at peace, if you're patient and kind and gentle and good and faithful and self-controlled, then you are bearing fruit for Christ. Because you can only experience these characteristics within yourself. You can only radiate them out to others as you daily yield your life to the work of the Spirit of God. You are bearing fruit if every day you are seeking to know Christ more, more and more and more forevermore, intimately knowing Christ. You're bearing fruit. You're bearing fruit if every day you are repenting, turning from sin, turning to Christ, looking through Christ at every person, at every situation in your life, Him first in your life. And if you endeavor, because you see the face of Christ, to live a new and fresh obedience every day, you're producing fruit. If you do good works that result from your daily repentance, then you are bearing fruit for Christ. And though every good work we do in this life will always, always be tainted by sin, the good news is this. God, our Father, looks at our good works through Christ. Just as we look through Christ, God looks at us through Christ. He looks at our good works through Christ. And He is pleased with those good works. And he accepts them and he rewards those works that are done with a sincere heart. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. These words, along with the words of Jesus here in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. These words hold exhilarating possibilities for you and for me. And I don't think that I am exaggerating by using the word exhilarating. It should be exhilarating. To us, to think that the God who created this world continues to work in it. In this world, God has decreed things that must happen. Things that will happen. Great things. God things. And he accomplishes them through us. God things 
are good things. They may be things as big as massive walls that come tumbling down at the sound of a trumpet and a shout. They might be things as small as reviving a smoldering candle, fanning it back into a flame, or straightening a bent reed so that it doesn't break. God is the God of immensity, the immensity of the universe, and He is the God of the minutia of a single hair on your head. This God has good works for us to do. Some immense, some seemingly infinitesimal, It's not for us to decide which one is more important than the other. It's just for us to repent, to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face and do what he shows us to do. Listen to these words that Jesus spoke on this same night in the upper room in John chapter 14. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We do not have time to exegete these verses this morning. But you have to agree. That as you let these words of Jesus just fall on your ear, as Jesus said them, they sound exhilarating, don't they? The possibilities that they present to you and to me, Lord, greater works than you did because you go to the Father, that's exhilarating. Ask for these good works in your name and you will do them. That's exhilarating. This is why you and I don't need guilt to be a motivator for the good works that we do. Guilt doesn't work. All we need is Christ. Christ to inspire us. Christ to overwhelm us. Christ to be before us. Christ to be with us. Let me show you what I mean. For the rest of our time this morning, by way of illustration, we're going to look at an account from Scripture of a good work, a good work that was so good, that was so beautiful when it happened, a good work that was compelled by such love for Jesus that Jesus said that this good work would never be forgotten in the whole world as long as the gospel Is proclaimed. Now listen, here's an aside. No matter what our detractors say, no matter what those who have quote unquote progressed beyond the ancient truths of an ancient book, inspired by one who is called the Ancient of Days, no matter what they may say, in spite of their attempts to replace the gospel with something more broad and liberal, the gospel is still being proclaimed forever and ever until the Lord returns the gospel will be proclaimed unstoppably so and you know the threats of jail 
the threats of torture, the threats of death, have never, no, never succeeded in silencing the gospel, nor will they ever be able to do so. Is that good news? Therefore, this good work will continue to be linked to the gospel that will continue to go forth as an example to us. And so we can look at this good work, this good deed, to check ourselves and the good deeds that we do to determine what our motivation is for doing them. To assure that in our hearts we do them, as verse 8 says here, for the glory of God. Here's the good deed. It takes place on Saturday night before the Thursday night of the Last Supper. A dinner is being given in honor of Jesus. At least 17 people are present at this dinner. Simon, the leper, is hosting the party in his home. Jesus is there with his 12 disciples. Lazarus is there with his two sisters, Mary and Martha. I imagine the atmosphere at this dinner must have been electric because Jesus' popularity is soaring. In just a few hours, Jesus is going to make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Throngs and throngs of people are going to surround him and cheer him and cry out to him, Blessed are you, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Martha is there and ever the servant. She must have been full of joy when she served food to her brother Lazarus. The one who should in this moment now and who was just days earlier decaying in his grave. But now he's reclining at the table. He's sharing a meal with his good friends because Jesus stood at his grave and said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth back from death to life. And then there's Simon, the host, whose living body should have been decaying in a leper colony, isolated completely cut off from family and friends and human touch. But no, here he is, hosting the party, embracing his friends, eating, drinking, talking, laughing, maybe even praying. Why? I'm guessing the healing touch of Jesus. Jesus touched him like he did other lepers, and he was healed. But then there's Mary looking on at the scene around the table. She sees Simon healed, Lazarus alive. She listens to their voices as they share this great fellowship around the table with Jesus. And in her heart, she knows that their joy, she knows that her joy is because of Jesus and because of who he is and because of all that he had done for them. And in that moment, when her heart was so filled with love for Jesus and for who she knew him to be and for what he had done for her and her family and her friends, she took this alabaster jar that she was holding in her hand and she crushed the neck of it. 
And she emptied the entirety of its contents onto the feet of Jesus. Now that is the good deed. And it was a costly deed. John and Mark both tell us in their Gospels that this perfume was rare. That it was exceedingly expensive. The equivalent of an entire year's salary. We can see as we look on that it was a good work done with complete abandon. A good deed that was not limited to reason or common sensibilities. A good deed that was willing to give up everything. But look, what should interest us most is what motivated this good deed. It wasn't motivated by guilt. It wasn't motivated by the need to check something off of a list. It was a good deed motivated by love for Jesus. A good deed done because Mary was overcome and overwhelmed with who Jesus is. There would be consequences for her decision to do this good deed for Jesus. But she didn't consider the consequences. I think you and I too often consider them too much. The consequences, I mean. We attempt to figure out every possible consequence before we do a good deed, to to think through every possible contingency as if somehow we are omniscient, knowing all things as God does. Or having gone ahead and done a good deed, if we do not see the immediate consequences that we hoped for, we're disinclined to do any more good deeds. We are very often disappointed. Disappointed by the reaction to our good deed. Disappointed that the desired consequence did not come to fruition. You know what? We need to probe that disappointment in our own hearts. Dig around in it a little bit and ask ourselves, for whom was this good deed done? I'm reading a book by the 19th century Scottish author and poet, and actually the pioneer of fantasy fiction, George MacDonald. C.S. Lewis regarded George MacDonald as his quote-unquote master. G.K. Chesterton claimed that MacDonald's writings made a difference to my whole existence. Here's the sentence that I highlighted as I read on Friday night. We must not judge from one consequence where there are a thousand yet to follow. We must not judge from one consequence where there are a thousand yet to follow. See, we don't know all. Only God does. We don't see all. Only God does. The disciples wanted to judge Mary's good work on one consequence, the immediate one. When they saw what she had done, they were indignant and they said, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Jesus responded, Truly I say to you, whoever 
wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus knew the thousands and the thousands and the thousands of ripple consequences that this good deed would create for 2,000 years and for as long as the gospel is preached. What would you have done if you were holding that alabaster jar? What would I have done? I know what we like to believe of ourselves, that because we are so overwhelmed with the person of Jesus, overwhelmed as Mary was, because we are so overwhelmed with all the good things that he has done, overwhelmed by the joy that he produces in the lives of people, overwhelmed by this person of Jesus who cares so much, enough to do all these things, then our belief, our hope, is that we would have been motivated by love to do what Mary did. I believe this is the key for doing good works. Look, we don't do them because we have to. We don't do them because some religious institution tells us we must do them. In order to earn our salvation or secure our place in heaven or somehow make up for how bad we really are, you and I do good deeds because we love the person of Christ. Because when we look at him, we are so overwhelmed by him, like Mary was overwhelmed by him. And perhaps you and I will only ever be overwhelmed in this way when we, like Mary, stand around the table a little more, watching, listening, meditating, quietly pondering the person of Christ, not asking for anything, just longing to see and hear and know Jesus, allowing ourselves to be overwhelmed by him, reviewing in our mind over and over all that he has done. Then perhaps you and I could would realize that we cannot do too much for the Lord, but in reality, we can't do enough for this one that we love so much. I find the prayer printed in the bulletin this morning to be very compelling. That's why I chose it. This was one of the lines that you read. I have seen thee by reason and not been amazed. I have seen thee as thou art in thy son and have been ravished to behold thee. Ravished to behold Christ, enraptured by his love, entranced by his mercy, enthralled by his grace, captivated by his compassion. As Mary looked at Jesus, all these attributes of Christ must have come crashing in on her mind. How he invited uh, those marginalized, those outcast by the rest of the world to come to him the way he forgave the the worst of sinners his call to the weary and the heavy laden to come unto him and to find rest when we are looking at Jesus as Mary looked at him when we are enraptured with him as Mary was 
When we are with Jesus, as Mary was with him, I believe, there will be something unstoppable in us. Something unstoppable. Like it was unstoppable in Mary. To do love works and compassion works and mercy works and grace works with Christ. And of course, I must say that one of the most glorious good works that you and I can do is to tell others about Jesus. Because we're so eager for them to come and know and love the one that we love. What good and beautiful fruit you and I bear when we tell others about Jesus. So take a look at the dead branches <laughs> piled on the street in front of the church as you leave this morning. Listen, I took a ton of pictures. <laughs> this pile of dead branches with our sanctuary right behind it. So look and hear these words of Jesus. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do no thing. With Christ we can do all things. The possibilities of what we can do when we are with Christ is exhilarating. I finished with this. Charles Spurgeon writes, that word do, that word do has music in it. Yes, brethren, Jesus went about doing good and being in him, we shall do good. I've been thinking of Christ as the vine and of the myriads of branches in him and my heart has hoped for great things. From such a root, what advantage must come. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray that the vintage that comes from us, the fruit that we bear, would be prolific, would be beautiful, that the good works we do would be unstoppable because we are so enraptured by you, enthralled with you, overcome by the beauty of who you are. Father, help us to do good works in this world. The ones that you have determined beforehand that we should do, help us to do those, Lord, because we love you so much. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.